a read all about it. Podcast tackles controversies that define your world. Listen to Indubitably now. Extra, extra, read all about it. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Indubitably and our first episode of the year, actually. Welcome to 2024. I feel like the listeners would appreciate knowing that Josh wrote not 2023 at the top of the script, like a lot of people do in January, February, but 2021 for some reason. Yeah, I saw that as you were deleted. I was like, I don't know what I don't know what I'm thinking. <laughs> that is some serious mental time traveling, though. Okay, but I got it right when I said it. It's been a long three years. Sure has. <laughs> uh, today, starting off 2024. We are bringing you an episode asking the question of whether or not Trump, Donald Trump, is bad for the Republican Party or good. We thought we were going to get something lighthearted after the last few episodes we threw our way. We'll try to make this episode as funny as possible. There's a lot to laugh at when it comes to Trump and um, Biden and pretty much any politician. He does give us content. Mm -hmm. Speaking of content, going into 2024. We wanted to let you, our listeners, know that we've got a new release schedule. We've been, we're aware of it, a little bit inconsistent in terms of what day we've been releasing episodes in the past uh, couple of months. And so now we are going to be sticking to a first of every month release date. Super easy to remember. So you should be hearing this on February 1st, unless you are a time traveler or listening to it after February 1st. But that's when it should be coming out, we hope. If you are a dedicated listener and listen the day we release, as you should, February 1st. And that would be alongside, though, we do want to still leave ourselves a bit of flexibility for releasing potential special releases, just depending on whatever madness happens to be taking place in the world at any given time. I feel like we also owe the listeners a little bit of an explanation about why our releases have been a little bit all over the place. Josh, did you just welcome a new family member into your life? Yeah, and this is probably going to cause some tension between Kelly and I, but I finally, after having to justify myself for the last two years saying, I have a cat, but I'm a dog person, I finally actually have a dog now. As well. I didn't get rid of Shitty Kitty, but she's been um, usurped in her role as my number one companion. Yeah, forget about the tension between you and me versus our like pet preferences. Your entire household right now is a tension filled time bomb, isn't it? Mm -hmm. One of those pets doesn't seem fond of the other, right? (laughs) No, actually, they both don't like each other. So you might hear interruptions in our episodes now. Usually it's us yelling at our cats. I might now be yelling at Karma, who is my new partly border collie, partly who knows what, got abandoned in an orchard, so just sort of guessing what she is. But she is definitely Karma, definitely border collie, definitely happy to have a dog again. Sorry, shitty kitty. And I asked Josh if uh, he named the dog after the Taylor Swift song, and he doesn't know the song, so that should be... Uh, an indication of the differences in our pop culture preferences, too, as well as in pets. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. All right. So karma aside, ironically, let's talk about Donald Trump. (laughs) Do we have to? Let's go back to talking about your dog. (laughs) Is Donald Trump bad 
for the Republican Party. And to give some context, the reason that we're having this discussion here is some longtime listeners might have heard me reference before that up until a couple of years ago, my job actually consisted of consulting and directing different political campaigns, which meant I spent a lot of time in central committee meetings. And some of those, I have to admit, were Republican central committee meetings. And this conversation was actually a very prevalent one in those meetings. The Republican Party is having to decide for itself in many ways uh, what it wants its identity to be moving forward and whether or not it wants Donald Trump to be the figurehead you know, at the forefront of that identity. How much do the parties actually shape that identity, though, if the voters are ultimately the ones that are making those calls in the primaries and the elections themselves? Well, the central committees, the parties have a lot of power in terms of deciding who gets on the ballots, you know, for one, who they endorse for two. And while we're going to be focused predominantly on Donald Trump today, there's also questions of do they choose local candidates that are endorsed by Trump or say Orange County is a really good example in California, which we'll talk about later. Should Orange County Republicans be rejecting Trump to take a more moderate stance, or should they be embracing you know, the MAGA fever that's sweeping across the country? I've watched West Wing and Veep. So those are both documentaries about American politics. So I know that there's some maneuvering behind the scenes, but I feel like in the case of Trump, and with his first election especially, that seemed to be a force of nature that defied an objective of the party. But I, I know I wasn't in those meetings and you were. So I don't know if that's actually the case. Well, and but that's part of the discussion, I think, is given Trump's popular appeal, even if he might stand contrary to certain other beliefs or certain other preferences of the party, are they obligated to sort of ride on his coattails and find victories lower down the ticket? Or do they push back and say, hey, we know that you're popular, but this is what we believe in. These are the types of candidates we want to put forward. And we've seen the Republican Party take both strategies in different parts of the country, where sometimes they do stand up to Trump and in some cases outright criticize him. Or in other cases, they are basically begging for his endorsement as a way to guarantee victories in their respective races. Sounds like the party as a whole isn't quite sure where it stands on Trump. No, and it makes it a very interesting conversation, I think. Uh, it puts a party that's been relatively static for decades now, and it puts them at a crossroads where they need to decide uh, exactly which path to take. I think a natural part of the discussion about Donald Trump is whether or not he is bad, full stop. And not many people think beyond that to the implications of what he means or doesn't mean or does or doesn't do for the Republican Party. But in the context of what we're discussing here, this is specifically talking about, does he actually serve a purpose or does he hinder the Republican Party? So what do we mean when we ask, is Donald Trump bad for the Republican Party? Hmm. Well, I think it could mean three different things. And we'll talk about all of these throughout the episode. One, it basically means that Republican voters should not vote for him. Right, He is bad for the Republican Party because, very simply, there's better options out there. Two, 
it could potentially mean that it would be better for the Republican Party if he wasn't running. Basically, what would this election look like without Donald Trump in it as a candidate? Right. His presence in any election, primary or general election, drives so much about what other candidates do and how they're perceived by voters as well, who can and who can't run viably when he's a a presence in the election. A good example of this, I think the first time he ran, in the beginning, nobody thought that he had a chance. He was kind of a joke. And if you watch the first Republican primary debates when they had whatever 16 candidates on the stage, compare the first debate that they had to the last that they had. And you can see how all the other candidates shifted in Trump's direction in terms of their rhetoric as they saw the success and the backing that he started to build. And he's inspired other people who think like him to enter into politics who maybe wouldn't have considered it before also. And people altogether who want to ride the coattails of his popularity are tailoring their campaigns to the types of preferences that Trump voters go towards. Mm -hmm. A a good example, and I know he just dropped out of the race, but Ron DeSantis was basically billing himself as uh, Trump minus the drama. Uh, Without the existence of Donald Trump, I don't think DeSantis might have even considered running for president. Trump, but meaner. Mm, Trump, but I lost to Mickey Mouse. (laughs) And this has won Republicans very solid victories in some districts where you had MAGA candidates uh, kind of stake their flag. And it's also lost them other districts where voters were looking for something a bit more moderate, even typically red-held districts. They said, you know, we want to stay conservative, but we're not sure we're willing to go that far. I'm right. I think we were both a little surprised at what happened during the last midterm election. We had a an episode kind of doing a recap about it and seeing things that we weren't quite expecting. The red tide of the 2016 election didn't quite hold as strong when we were looking at subsequent elections and kind of the petering out of some of those ideologies. But now Trump's back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the red tide was literally, hey, this is what Trump did. He made all this progress and and he won these victories that we didn't expect. So uh, all the little mini Trumps running around following his same formula for victory should have the same results. And like I said, in some places it worked. In some, it didn't. Overall, it didn't work quite as much as pundits had expected, you know, but they have not exactly proven themselves reliable over the last, you know, eight years anyway. Based on what we've seen with these patterns overall, it seems like his mere presence just impacts the elections full stop. There are a lot of discussions about how uh, Democrats are running their campaigns in uh, opposition to Trump and Trump like candidates. Larger discussions about voter rights and voter fraud. The elections are becoming even more of a circus than they ever have been, and they kind of always have been. Mm -hmm. Trump has made the elections exciting. You can't argue that turnout has gone up since he's gotten involved, but uh, they've been accrued at times. So elections gain attention, but potentially lose credibility when he is a part of it. And then if he loses... And, and people cry foul, sometimes they storm the Capitol. 
<laughs> right. So we'll discuss that too later in the episode. But again, an argument could be made one way or the other. Either A, if Donald Trump was not a candidate, then we wouldn't have to worry about uh, insurrection if he loses. Or B, if he wasn't a candidate, then we wouldn't have uh, the corruption of the system exposed. So arguments uh, on either side. So A, if he's bad, Republicans shouldn't vote for him, but he's still a candidate. B, if he's bad, he shouldn't be a candidate at all. Or C, it's better that Donald Trump just doesn't exist as a person <laughs> if you think he's bad for the Republican Party. Obviously, the converse of all these are, are in the discussion, too. If he is good for the Republican Party, you should vote for him. He should be running and he should exist as a person. I feel like you're trying to gloss over the he shouldn't exist part and not really getting into like the mechanism for that. Is this just like a thought experiment if he'd never been born or are you going to get yourself in trouble with like the FBI right now? This is like a time machine and going back to before he was born. This is the baby Hitler <laughs> theory. Oh boy. Okay. But the the idea here is even in the midterm elections of 2022, when he wasn't necessarily running for president again, he still had massive influence and was a defining feature of the party. So regardless of whether or not he personally was running or we'll talk about is allowed to run or is even around to run, his existence causes waves in the political scene for the country as a whole and uh, certainly for the Republican Party. I just can't believe he even wants to be president again. It surely cannot have been him just flying around in Air Force One eating Big Macs the whole time, which is, I'm sure, what he thought it was going to be before he got the job. So I guess there's something in it for him that we're just not seeing. So he's a presence. I think, one, it's profitable for him to be president. And two, I just think he doesn't like to lose. I don't think he wants to go down as a loser, which right now getting beat by Joe Biden who, in Trump's own words, the worst candidate in the history of everything, uh, but he beat you. I don't think that sits well with him. So I think he wants that rematch. All right. I guess we're we're going to do this. We're going to have that whole conversation about Trump then. We are. Before we start, though, we can't talk about Trump in a vacuum. So a couple of things before we have a discussion on whether Trump is good or bad for the Republican Party specifically, two things to note. One, uh, the Republican Party obviously exists inside of the larger United States. So what is good or bad for the Republican Party is also going to be, in many ways, good or bad for the country as a whole. And what is good or bad for the nation is also oftentimes going to have positive or negative effects on the party and its voters. Hmm. Not always, though. Tax breaks for billionaires or lacks environmental regulation on corporations, et cetera, et cetera. Probably good for Republicans, bad for the country. Sounds like you don't believe in trickle-down economics, and you want to strangle capitalism with all of these unnecessary carbon filters. <laughs> you think whatever you want. Fake news. Sure. Yep. But the point here is that likely throughout the episode, a lot of the arguments that we make, you could replace Republican Party with the United States, uh, although the focus is going to be on the party specifically. The second thing I think that we should clarify, and this is one of my pet peeves, uh, I also think Joe Biden is most certainly bad for the Democratic Party. It's just not as much fun to talk about as Trump. That's because he doesn't do anything as ridiculous as Trump. I was going to say that he doesn't do anything ridiculous, and that's not true, but he's definitely not <laughs> as ridiculous as Donald Trump is. 
Yeah, but, uh, you know, Biden, too old, too incompetent. He's a weak candidate given the last four years. Uh, he is a blatant part of the Democratic machinery that we're sick of, and he's been holding the Democratic Party back from evolving. Pretty straightforward. I don't think super controversial statements about why Biden would be bad for the Democratic Party. So if you want us to do an episode on that, we just did. There's all the arguments. Yeah, he's an incumbent. And that is generally the way of federal elections is that those who are in office, unless they've run out of how many terms they can serve or they choose to retire, generally stay in the game. And he's he has to be formally nominated as the candidate, I guess. But like he's the candidate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a uh, I have to give a shout out to a comedian, Bill Burr who mirrors my sentiment, which I'm sure people who've listened to the podcast before have heard me multiple times. I think there should be age limits on our politicians. Uh, right now, we got two guys, neither one of which would have to live with the consequences of their actions. The best thing for the country, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party at this point would be they both die peacefully of natural causes. And we can nominate some 40 year olds that'll have to take some responsibility for their actions when they're in office. You're teetering so close to not only saying that Trump should have been baby Hitlered, but now Joe Biden. Hey, you know, we are a neutral and objective podcast, and I think they both suck. <laughs> anyway, so Republican Party exists as part of the U.S. as a whole. Biden also bad for the Democratic Party. Those two things out of the way. Is Donald Trump bad or good for the Republican Party? I think the easiest argument suggesting that he is good for the Republican Party, let's start there, is that he's getting the most votes, plain and simple. And at its core, that's how democracy is supposed to work. The most Republicans in this country want Donald Trump. Therefore, they should get Donald Trump. Now, is that a product of the mechanisms put into place by all those election board secret meetings? Or is that just pure and simple, exactly what voters want? Well, like, like you said, um, the one thing it's hard to question about Trump's candidacy is that it's authentic. It's grassroots. It's from the voter up rather than, again, Biden. Easy to argue that he was forced onto us by the Democratic Party as opposed to Sanders. Still salty about that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do think that you have to give Trump credit here and more so than any other candidate. His existence in the election is representative of the will of the people in the Republican Party. He has a certain appeal to voters and people who aspire to get out of their circumstances. I've heard it described as he is a poor person's idea of what a rich person is. And a lot of people think if they align themselves with his ideology, politics, his methods towards approaching life and business, that they too will have a golden toilet someday. Um, hasn't quite worked out that way, but he still has a lot of people who believe he's the answer to all of those things. Again, if you just look at the democratic system, it's not really for us to judge the reasons why people choose who they choose, but to support the choice that they are making. And in this case, uh, again, if we want to pick the most straightforward reason that Donald Trump is good for the Republican Party, uh, I think that he is the single individual on this planet that the largest number of Republican voters would like to see as president. You're not sure maybe like a reincarnated Nixon would have a good shot? 
<laughs> I was just going to say, we can't bring Reagan back. And you might say, Kelly might say, hmm. but what if he's blocking out other candidates that they would be voting for otherwise? Isn't that the nature of democracy? <laughs> you can only vote for one person unless you are one of those fraudulent Democratic voters. Yeah, well, yeah that's right. And, uh, you know, I think if we do look at alternatives, so if we're suggesting here that Trump uh, is good for the Republican Party because he's going to win, you know, their nomination, a lot of other people, what, 14, 15 people were in the primary election the first time around. There were at least six or seven this time around. They all had their chance to run, and he's pretty much dominated every single one of them. In the last couple of weeks, we had Ramaswamy drop out. We had DeSantis drop out. Pence gave up a while ago. Haley, at the time of this recording, is still around. But when we release in four or five days, whatever February 1st is, uh, it's possible she'll be gone too. There are probably some mechanisms in place, even outside of like the politicking behind the scenes that make it so it was kind of inevitable he would block out a lot of other candidates. He had a platform that a lot of politicians didn't have going into the 2016 election. He's retained that platform. He was a celebrity first, a businessman, whatever, first. And um, for the people who maybe are not as attuned to the nuances of political discourse in the country, they knew his name and they didn't know a lot of other people's names. And, and that gave him a lot of purchase in, in this competition. Mm -hmm. Enough that literally everybody but one has kind of keeled over and handed him the nomination. And honestly, I, I really think Haley is only sticking around as long as she is in the hopes that on the off chance that he's rendered ineligible for health or legal reasons, she could make the case that, hey, I was next in line. I had the second most support in the uh, primary nomination. So if Trump, for whatever reason, can't run, I think she's just trying to position herself as the obvious nominee in that case. I don't think she actually has any delusion that she could beat Trump. Yeah, it's, it would be bananas if voters had to resort to voting for Nikki Haley, who initially wanted to vote for Donald Trump. Another argument you could make here is that he's created an alternative reality in which his voters support him. For example, we're talking about him calling the criminal proceedings witch hunts. We're talking about January 6th. We're talking about claims of election tampering. There, And these are all things that members of his own party, both legislative and judicial, have said he's wrong about. Um, so you could say that, yes, most people want to vote for him, but they're basing that decision on a world that doesn't exist. But how much does it not exist? The fact that he's called these things witch hunts has made that real to a lot of his supporters. January 6th was based upon an invented situation, but it had a very real outcome. So the alternate reality he's created has some actual tangible effect and impact, not just on ideology, but on action. Right. Like, what are we supposed to do about this? Uh, polling shows that still to this day, 30 percent of Americans believe that Biden only won the 2020 election due to vote tampering. And there's there's no precedent for invalidating votes based on an erroneous set of beliefs. 
the facts are out there, Josh. It's just these democratic people who are running election commissions that are keeping us from the truth. <laughs> Even Trump supporters have said that's not true. I mean, there was definitely not election tampering, but at the point that 30% of Americans believe that there were, how do we get around that? I mean, potentially a test to vote. Have we done an episode on that? No, and I don't want to be fair and balanced on the idea of having people take a test to vote. Do you remember anything we've ever learned in a U.S. history class? Yeah, you say that, but then when Trump wins, you're going to be wishing that we could disqualify certain groups. I, you know, in 2016, I had to wrestle with that. Like, there were people who are obviously very swayed by inaccurate information who have the right to vote. That is the cost of living in a democracy like this, is that you have to accept all comers who are legally eligible to vote, whether or not they, uh, you know, read. All right. Well, you know, those things being said, then it would seem that there's really not too much to say against the fact that more Republicans want Donald Trump to be president than any other person by a large margin. And I think that in and of itself is a pretty clear and fair reason to say he's good for the Republican Party. There's another easy argument to make that he is good for the Republican Party in that he not only is he basically guaranteed to win his party's nomination, polling right now puts him comfortably ahead of Biden with growing momentum. Yeah, every time he shows up in court, it helps his numbers. Yeah, he just becomes more visible every time there's a new transcript that comes out or some really funny courtroom sketches of him. But um, I think a really big part of it is that if he were actually convicted, the GOP gets a murder. Um, and since the dominant rhetoric is that he did no wrong, you know, his alternate reality, as you've put it, they can point to this as further evidence of a corrupt Democratic Party. Why didn't they also go after Hunter? Blah, blah, blah. Um, the talking points about all this just reinforce how innocent and pure and Christ-like that Trump is, that he was a victim of this um, pernicious prosecution and all these irrelevant lawsuits and what have you. Mm. And this, you know, referencing earlier my time in committee meetings, the Republican Party, if what you value are the Republican ideals, conservative ideals, whether it's policy on taxation, policy on immigration, foreign policy, whatever you want to choose here, getting your guy into office guarantees that you get to promote that legislation over the next four years. It also guarantees that you get to put people into judicial seats. The Supreme Court right now is the best example of this, where if you are a Republican and you hate Donald Trump, you are still happy he got elected because now you get to define what the Constitution means until the Supreme Court changes, which might not be for a decade. And for the next four years, you get to put forward legislation to ensure that your policies are put into place. So what you're basically saying is that there will be Republican voters who vote for the Republican candidate, regardless of who he actually is, because of what he's able to he, I'm assuming, uh, is able to do. I think that is very much the case when you look at voters who want to restrict abortion rights further. They will always vote for the Republican candidate, regardless of the personal morals of that Republican candidate, regardless of any other policy um, decisions that they make, because they cannot afford to lose that battle. So, I mean, is that that Trump is good for the Republican Party? 
Well, that I think is an offshoot of this argument that we're making here, which is that Trump has the best chance possible of winning the presidency and winning the presidency is good for the Republican Party. So if Trump is the guy that's got you the best chance of doing it, then Trump is good for the party. I think that's most true when you look at him comparative to Biden as well, because this is one of the rare instances we get as voters to compare two people who've had a presidential term. And we can look at a lot of the things that happened in Trump's presidency and think they were kind of messed up. And we can look at what's happening currently in Biden's presidency and going, man, how is it this bad still? Mm -hmm. Like groceries cost so much right now. They cost less when Donald Trump was president. I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. So two easy arguments. Trump's good for the Republican Party. He's the guy that most of them want. And he's the guy that's most likely to win the presidency in November. Now, easiest argument against Donald Trump. Donald Trump is bad for the Republican Party because what if he doesn't win? Now, we already know what it's likely to happen since we saw it four years ago on January 6th. And this isn't just bad for the Republican Party, but like we mentioned in the intro, this is bad for the country as a whole. January 6th was a real crossing of the Rubicon for the Republican Party because up until that point, a lot of the structures that the Republican Party admires had been very much emblematic of a lot of American institutions and uh, a lot of the ideas of conservatism and keeping tradition alive and things like that. But when we're talking about people who support the Republican candidate actually infiltrating the government offices, the literal symbols of America, and fighting against cops, other symbols of America, it does not look like the Republican Party we've always understood it to be. Right. You you had the party of Blue Lives Matters all of a sudden literally threatening the lives of police officers and marking police officers as traitors to the country. It throws the party into just this schizophrenic, anarchical state that certainly isn't good, A, for its ability to figure out its own identity, or B, its credibility on the national stage, and then C, its viability as it puts forth candidates in the future. The people who perpetrated the events on January 6th are not the majority of Republican voters. They don't share the same ideologies as the majority of Republican voters. They may have similar beliefs. Like there are probably a lot of Republican voters who still, like you mentioned, like 30% um, still believe that there was some sort of tampering from the Democrats for Trump's um, loss. But that was a very small number of people who actually took action on it. But the, the, they are the screaming minority of the party. And it starts to look like that is what the party itself is associating itself with is this complete banana pants situation um, and a legitimate fear that that could happen again. Yeah, to take this and, and just put yourselves for a second in the minds of Republican officials across the country. This could be other legislatures. This could be judges. This could be election officials. They all had to make a decision. They were all forced into making a decision between do I continue to support my party or do I have to come out and literally say, hey, the leader of our party is wrong. The things he's telling you are lies. The Democrats are correct. 
they won this legitimately. It it puts real party members in a real dilemma of whether they continue to support their party or do they support the truth. And that's, I mean, in any definition, that's not good for the party. And it could cost them their lives if people are this driven to action again. Mike Pence was in legitimate danger that day because he did the lawful thing of certifying election results that they all believed were illegitimate. I was getting my COVID vaccine and I came home a few hours later and all of a sudden the Capitol had been taken. It was just the most unrealistic day I've ever lived in my life. And I don't think it's unrealistic that it could happen again. And that might be the best example. Literally, the vice president had to go to war with the president. Obama and Biden were like BFFs forever. Best friends forever, forever. (laughs) Pence and Trump, not so much. Yeah, because Trump was like my version of the truth over legal process. And you didn't follow it. So I'm going to allow you to be strung up and hung, (laughs) drawn and quartered in front of the Capitol building. If you think cohesiveness is important for a party, Trump is bad for the Republican Party. But another idea about why he might not be that great for the Republican Party is that we don't even know if he's actually able to run for president or will be able to run for president in the matter of a few weeks or a couple of months. Right. So should you vote for him or not? Should he be included or not? What happens if he doesn't win? He's most likely to win. None of this matters if he can't run. And this could be for two reasons. It could be due to his legal woes or it could be due to age and health issues. Either way, if he can't run, it's all a conspiracy. Dementia is a conspiracy. But anyway, but realistically, like if he cannot run, he cannot be <laughs> the president. So we've mentioned that his legal woes might be great for his campaign, right? Building a cult of personality, filling out this worldview as a knight in shining armor, fighting for the common man against the machinery of the Washington elite. But if he goes to jail or is deemed ineligible, not much of that would matter. The real risk is if people insist on supporting Donald Trump before he's secured the nomination, which it looks like is what's happening, and he is convicted of certain things and and or uh, deemed ineligible to run, it does do quite a bit of damage to the, the credibility of the Republican Party as a whole. They've been rallying their support behind a criminal slash con man. Well, some of these trials, it's hard to keep track of all of them, and they they last forever. The trial themselves last forever, and then, of course, the appeals. But just today, he was ordered to pay $83.3 million to E. Jean Carroll in the defamation case, following a separate civil trial where a jury found that he sexually assaulted her. So we have concrete examples and concrete rulings that are starting to come down from the plethora, I think 90 plus things he's being accused of. But he's still able to run and there are still voters who don't care about those things. So do you think it's realistic that there is going to be an actual determination that he can't run? We did an episode on corrupt politicians and we did some research about this, about whether or not criminal convictions could stop you from running for president. And I don't think that they do. And they even senators can run and serve from jail. Mm-hmm. But at what point would they actually have 
a legal means of revoking his eligibility for president? Well, I think if he's found criminally liable for some of these things and put in jail, like you mentioned, I don't think it's out of the question that people would vote for him behind bars just out of principle. But your second question, Colorado and Maine have both ruled that Donald Trump will not be eligible to run on the primary ballots in those states. Now, this is getting appealed to the Supreme Court. And as we mentioned earlier, the Supreme Court is definitely balanced in Trump's favor. So uh, if you're asking me my opinion, I find it very unlikely that these rulings won't be overturned by the Supreme Court. But theoretically, there is a world in which Trump would be ineligible to run on certain ballots. Perhaps, but there are ways around that as well. I'm thinking about all the legal mechanisms that can be exploited here. You assign electorates based upon the votes in each state and people who are sent in to the national conventions as electors can change who they're representing at any point in time. So even if he can't be on a certain state's ballot or he's missing, if he's missing on a primary ballot, I don't think that matters to him at all right now. He would still secure the party's nomination. I cannot see a world in which there's a legal determination that actually removes his eligibility from standing in the general election. He could also be written in. You don't have to be in the ballot to be written in. And I, I promise you, if Trump was taken off, his voters would not simply just roll over and, all right, well, I guess it's Haley then. So that's probably like the less likely means of uh, him being unable to run for president. But there are other factors that might also impede his ability to stand an election. Yeah. The age and health issues, I think, are self-explanatory, either before the election, in which case he potentially couldn't run, or worst case, during a presidency with potentially dangerous effects. Yeah. There was a West Wing episode about that. (laughs) There's a West Wing episode about everything. But Mm. voters, (laughs) voters feel very strongly that their president should be able to serve out their actual full term. Um, because the president dying in office causes a lot of chaos. And if they have any sort of antipathy towards the vice president, like they did last time, they wouldn't like the person who might be slated to replace them. Um, and this is the same kind of disgruntlement that Democrats are experiencing. Like Biden could just drop dead in office too. And we're not like super happy about that possibility. Right. So this has been a null issue because he's been running against Biden. Neither one of them can really criticize the other on this, both in terms of physical health or mental health. But if we're asking the question of would the Republican Party be better off if Trump was not running, a younger Republican candidate would then have this as a huge boost to use as a platform to their campaign. They then would be able to criticize Biden on these issues in a way that Donald Trump could not. I'm not sure if logic and long-term objectives are going to prevail when it comes to how Donald Trump engages with politics in America. But if he genuinely cares about making sure the country is under stewardship similar to his for the long term, it probably would make a lot of sense for him to have not run this time around and just maybe thrown his support around somebody who is also a viable Republican candidate but maybe has a bit more going for them, like maybe not so many lawsuits and criminal trials and health issues and what what have you. I know that 
uh, Ron DeSantis poised himself to be like Trump Jr., whatever, but like Trump hated him, like hated him. So I can't think of a single person that in the party would be a viable Trump replacement that Trump would actually like. But I think it probably would have served him well to have his interests carried out by a person he could, if he could find one like that. But he's, it's got to be about him. He needs to be center stage. He's a prima donna. Yeah, I, I'd be curious if Trump wasn't actually running and DeSantis wasn't his opponent. I'm curious if he actually would hate him. I don't think he would. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring up looking to the future, though, because this choice is not just about Trump for the Republican Party, right? What is good? What is bad for the Republican Party? Donald Trump can kind of serve as a focusing point for that question. But the party is literally needing to define its own identity moving forward. Even if Trump wins, this will be his second and final term. Uh, theoretically, we've heard some Putin-esque rhetoric about doing away with term limits, but let's just say he doesn't convince the nation to completely throw away the Constitution. Come 2028, Trump is no more, at least as a presidential candidate. But the way it looks, he will have solidified the Republicans as a hyper-conservative, ultra-populist, and let's just say less than diverse party. Right? The problem is that the makeup of the United States is moving in the opposite direction. So the disconnect between Republican fundamentalists and the American people is growing every year. Voters are getting younger, more diverse, more concerned with identity politics. Larger percentages are immigrants. Now, I'm not saying all those things are necessarily good, but that is the reality of the situation. Additionally, even for white Americans who have grown up in maybe more conservative households, People our age and younger are bucking a lot of the trends, but becoming more conservative as you age. And a lot of us are becoming a lot more radical, you know, if not just moderate, um, but straight up leftists. And it's funny that he's actually been able to have this much pull, considering because at the time the 2016 election happened, a lot of people were saying, well, this is the last blast for the Republican Party. This is the last time you're ever going to see this very hyper conservative somebody with this type of bombastic rhetoric and really regressive views about like women and, and immigrants this is the last time you're ever going to see that gaining any foothold nationally and yet it's happened again but i'm curious if we're actually going to be at a position where we have a situation that is less um, welcoming to this sort of ideology because it doesn't seem to be going away well I think that Trump managed to win despite all of that eight years ago, based largely on a cult of personality. After we had four years of tangible results of his leadership to look at, that cult wasn't strong enough to secure him a second win. This time around, Biden's failings and a chance to rekindle his image free from the shackles of actual governance might swing things back in Trump's favor. But four years from now, when the Republican Party is stuck with his brand of conservatism defining them without Trump himself as an eligible figurehead, are they dooming themselves to defeat moving forward? And again, that's the conversation that's going on in the GOP, right? In the <laughs> behind closed doors, if you will, in multiple central committee meetings. I imagine that 
even if the future is a focus for political parties, the most important time frame to think about is right now. And winning now is more proximate, just realistically speaking, than potentially winning in the future. That's a problem they'll think about. Uh, you know, two years from now when they have to figure out who they're going to start nominating at that point in time. So with all of that said and done, the future is something to be concerned about, but not at the expense of this election. Yeah. And uh, to to point like the magnifying glass at myself for a second, my experience to be upfront was in California, which is predominantly blue. But a lot of my work was in relatively purple districts or even red districts, Orange and Riverside counties. And the question was often put forwards, we can either support Trump or we can win, but not both, right? And while California as a whole, again, is decidedly blue, these areas have been strong in their support for Republicans in the past. But while Californian Republicans might be fully in support of traditionally conservative values for fiscal or foreign policy, they see Trump as taking things too far. Right. The problem for the party is that the rest of the country is becoming more Californian. Literally, we are moving everywhere because there's too damn many of us here. Some people did theorize that because Trump represented such a huge departure from the Republicans we typically seen run for president, that it could end up splitting the party altogether, which would dilute the conservative vote. Um, we're not a system that's really built to have more than two parties compete on on the federal stage. Do you think that's actually a possibility? Or is this going to be Trump is the last of it and then the Republican Party is going to start looking more like it did 15 years ago? Well, I think that's where maybe the Tea Party Republicans come from, where they say, hey, we don't really want to get caught up in all of this ideological stuff. We just want to focus on hard money policies, taxation, et cetera, fiscal policy. There's definitely a divide between MAGA Republicans and moderate Republicans. And that's the problem that I'm, I'm pointing to. Californians are immigrating in huge numbers to places like Colorado, Idaho, Nevada, Arizona, Texas. And we can see over the course of the last eight years, some pretty troubling trends, if you're a Republican, in all of those states. So Arizona flipped from Trump in 2016 to Biden in 2020. So did Georgia. Biden dominated Trump in Colorado by almost 14%. Also, we mentioned that Colorado was one of the states where the Supreme Court de declared Trump ineligible. And this is Colorado's a red state. And with Vegas and Reno seeing more and more immigration, Nevada has also gone blue in the last two elections. Again, traditionally a red state. Idaho saw Biden pick up 6% more votes than Hillary. And even Texas, Biden picked up 3% more votes than Hillary. So these are a lot of, if not Republican strongholds, definitely strong red-leaning states that are, over time, shifting very decisively in the blue direction. Well, they're certainly not going to be doing it this time around, unless, like, Trump passes away. <laughs> Until there's literally no way he could run for president, they're going to stick with him as the candidate of choice. Mm. So I don't know what that's going to mean for future elections, but I also think it would probably be risky to start trying to fundamentally change the party 
during the administration of one of the more radical presidents, should he win. If he, if he loses, which we're saying might not happen, he might win. If he loses, that might be a, a moment of reckoning for the Republican Party, and they can start to recalibrate from there. But if he wins, any sort of reform the Republican Party wants to make is going to be kind of difficult to justify because his method still worked. Mm-hmm. And and that's where we might be coming off seeming a little bit contradictory here. You know, one, because we're trying to present both sides. But two, we did say one of the benefits of Trump for the Republican Party is that he's very likely to win this upcoming election. But we just went through all of these states that have flipped blue or at least shifted blue. I think at this point, the most powerful weapon in the Republicans arsenal is the last four years of the Biden's presidency and how poorly they went. If Biden had done a halfway decent job, I don't think we'd be having the same conversation. So despite the fact that overall trends are shifting blue, he might be able to pull off this one last anomalous victory before Republicans come to term with the new demographics of the country. If that's the case, looking ahead, what does all this mean for 2028? Well, if Trump gets to be president again, maybe all those demographic changes that we're currently observing will be stalled or reversed because he's uh, an ardent xenophobe <laughs> and he puts that into into actual policy as we've seen several different things that were just out and out cruel from his his administration possible possible but i think this is where potentially trump is bad for the republican party because as opposed to doubling down on a third campaign for a second term of trump Republicans can be using these years to solidify a fundamental shift in the makeup of the party's representatives. For example, in the midterm when Trump wasn't running, we did see Republicans put forward traditionally underrepresented candidates, basically anybody that doesn't look like me in 20 years, and they had some decent results. Right. That's definitely starting to look a little different in the Republican Party. You've got Tim Scott. Um, he's been rising in the party, having been a representative from uh, 2013. Further back, like much further back, um, we have Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court, um, Condoleezza Rice, who was in the Bush administration. In this election, this primary election, we saw Vivek Ramaswamy, who is no longer running, but is still not the type of candidate you typically saw in a Republican primary. Mm-hmm. And they all show a more diverse Republican Party that still manages to forward the conservative ideals that define it. Nikki Haley would be another example. We we certainly haven't seen a female nominee from the Republican Party. I really believe that a Republican Party that maintains its legitimate values while ditching the tightrope act balancing between <laughs> patriotism, quote unquote, and white nationalism would be a legitimate contender to maintain control of the country over a Democratic Party that's seen predominantly as ineffectual. Maybe, but I'm pretty skeptical. I feel like a lot of the people who are rising in the Republican Party who are not the same sort of demographics we've typically seen from the Republican Party are adhering more to the political ideology of the Republican Party, whatever that dominant rhetoric is, 
rather than bringing the influence of their identity into how they are approaching their their political career. I see that as being the case a lot with like Republican women who are rising in the ranks and how they still support legislation that is really bad for women. Um, when we see Black Republicans that are supporting policies that I think are really demonstrably damaging to a lot of minorities in the United States. It makes me so confused why they are not looking out for their own interests or the interests of their families and friends and communities and bringing their own personal experiences into how they approach the politics. It's it's like a, a Republican assimilation machine rather than actually like demonstrably diversifying the party. But I actually think that might be a very valid tactic for Republican voters. So both parties are wrestling with the challenges of finding the perfect blend of recognizing the importance of diversity in this country without getting so caught up in identity politics that they find themselves devoid of actual substance. So what you're describing is I think what a lot of Republican or even swing voters are looking for, which would be an African-American candidate who does not make his platform just about being African-American, a female candidate who does not make her platform about just being female. She is a Republican candidate with XYZ platform that happens to be female or a Republican candidate with conservative values that happens to be African-American. And I think that might be a winning strategy on the Republican side and for a large section of the country that's either moderate or undecided. Is that not just tokenism, though? Because it's not that they're not making it about their identity wholesale. They're not making it about their identity even a little bit. They're, they're bringing forth a uniqueness that differentiates them from a lot of the Republican Party, but they've watered down the the differences that they have to the point where it's just it's just uh, something that appeals hopefully to those types of voters they haven't been able to court before but that's patronizing isn't it i think that some people could argue it's the opposite so for example there is a, a relatively large block of hispanic voters for trump that are able to say hey we're Hispanic. We might be immigrants. We have a background where we can identify with people in this country that have a similar background. But that doesn't mean that you can then assume what my stances on various positions are going to be. I can have that background and still think for myself, which might mean my stance on immigration policy is not what you would expect it to be, et cetera, et cetera. That's almost the opposite of tokenism. And again, Framing the context of this episode in whether or not it's good or bad for the Republican Party, they're not trying to win over Democratic voters who are looking for a, a sort of pure version of identity politics. They're looking to win over Republicans who are like, cool, you look a little bit more like me, but we still believe these things. Maybe I'm too cynical. Maybe there is a future of the Republican Party that is legitimately diversifying. And this is just like the infancy of it. And of course, it's going to look a little rough. And maybe in the future, the Republican Party is going to be a little less wild, a little less banana pants, a little more diverse, and a little more advocating for the people that are behind that diversity that it's seeking right now. And so at least in the short term, Donald Trump is stopping that from happening, theoretically. But if that's the argument, 
for why Trump might be bad in the long term for the Republican Party, I do think we should ask a couple of questions, which is if he were to step back in order to let the party start pursuing that new identity four years earlier, who would have ran instead? Right. That's kind of the elephant in the room. If we think that Trump is bad for the Republican Party, who would have been good for the Republican Party? I don't know. I feel like to answer that question, I would have to think like a Republican. And I think we all know I can't do that. Let me try. Well, <laughs> I I guess we've mentioned Nikki Haley. She's the only other candidate currently running. Time of the recording might be changed by the time you listen to it. We mentioned Tim Scott. Uh, we mentioned Vivek Ramaswamy. But back to the Trump is good for Republican Party side. I don't think any of these three are ready to win and or have a successful presidency yet. So without a replacement, does that then default mean that Donald Trump is good for the party? I don't know. I did have a legitimate fear that Ron DeSantis is going to get the nomination because I think people identify not only with the fact that he had rhetoric that was so similar to Trump's, but that he seemed more competent. Like the things that he's been able to actually do have been more effectual than the things that Trump tried to do and Trump like had a lot of a, a help from an administration and being, you know, awful. And I legitimately like lost some sleep thinking about if Ron DeSantis was president, which I think points to the fact that he may have been a viable candidate absent Trump. Ironically, like we said earlier, he wouldn't have been a viable candidate without Trump's existence in the first place to make that rhetoric acceptable. Right. But you're talking about a possibility in which Trump Trump removes himself from the equation now. Right. But his influence will still have had effect. Right. So that's complicated. Here's another argument for why Trump would be good for the Republican Party, even looking ahead to 2028. What about Trump winning the presidency and then using the position of vice president to help launch the careers of some of these people we're listing? If if Trump were to choose a more diverse candidate for vice president, and then assuming that the next four years go well, they can then run on that momentum. So in a, in a strange way, Trump, probably one of the least diverse people on the planet, could help the Republican Party push forward into uh, you know, a shifting identity focused a bit more on diversity. That would be interesting to see play out because despite Trump's advocacy of whoever his vice president is, if he selects somebody who is not a white man, that very well could alienate some of his voting base. All right. So, I mean, in my mind, this question of is Trump good or bad for the Republican Party comes down to a short term versus long term question. I think Certainly in the short, short term of November, Trump is probably good for the Republican Party. It's the best chance of securing a win in this upcoming election. He is the most Democratic nomination. It would make the most Republican voters feel represented. Based on all those standards, I think Trump is good for the Republican Party in 2024. That being said, if you can't tell by what I've said, Throughout the last argument, I do think that really doubling down on Trump, whether that be through a vice president choice or that be whatever his rhetoric is over the next four years, I think that would be a mistake. I do think that the Republican Party has to evolve 
And the more that they stick with Trump's cult of personality, the harder that's going to be for them. So is Trump good or bad for the Republican Party? Both? Kelly? Well, I definitely agree on the short-term take. That is, there's no there's no justification for the Republicans to sacrifice uh, an almost not not certain win, but pretty pretty confident approach to November at the very least. But I'm thinking about long term. So 2028 is really not that far away. Sometimes it feels like four years go by painfully slow, but they're actually like not not a super long time from now. And it really depends on, I guess, how many boomers die between then and now. The the voting base that likes Trump is an aging voting base for the most part, but they're not necessarily the oldest voters. And we, we talked about this in one of our episodes about having a, a limit to a voting age. The older people get, the more time they have to be politically involved. And the older folks in this country are and they tend to be pretty conservative in a lot of cases. So I wonder if this actually would bode well for 2028 because there's still going to be older, retired, conservative voters kicking around who want to continue what Trump has initiated. Longer than that, though, that's when I think we start to see a tide turn. Speaking of looking to the future, I think that wraps up our discussion on whether or not Trump is good or bad for the Republican Party. But in a future episode, we have done one live episode before that y'all could actually attend and listen to slash participate in the recording of. But this would be the first time indubitably is around for a presidential debate. The last one obviously being four years ago. How would we would like to know our listeners feel about us doing a live episode during assuming Trump agrees to debate during a presidential debate between Trump and Biden. I must have done something very bad in my life to increase the likelihood I have to watch another presidential debate. I'll do it for the listeners. I'll do it for the listeners. <laughs> this is a good learning opportunity, Kelly. Ironically, for those of you that uh, that remember our introduction episode, like over two years ago now, we did talk about the types of debate that people generally think of when they think debate in public discourse. And one of them was political debate. That being said, even though we discussed that in the very first recording that we put down for Indubitably, we've never actually analyzed one. So this might be a unique, not unique, but once every four year opportunity for us to do that. Despite my aversion to listening to politicians talk, I think this would be a really unique experience of not only having the exposure to political rhetoric like this, but having people who are like pretty well educated in debate analyze the most prominent form of political discourse that happens. So if I were a listener, I'd be interested in in attending this live or listening to it after the fact, um, despite how my voice currently sounds. I think it actually is probably going to be entertaining and informative. So let us know on uh, Facebook, on Twitter at IndubitablyPod, email IndubitablyPodcast at gmail.com. I might make this the Spotify question for this episode. And also very important, let us know on any of those platforms if you would like to see pictures of my do dog karma. 
Or maybe I will just post them anyway. I have a feeling. I haven't had her for very long yet, but she seems to be a bit of a diva. Hmm. She'd be cheesing for the camera. She is pretty cute. I think the listeners are going to want to see proof of this dog. And now I can finally authentically hold up my end of the dogs are better than cats debate. It's You don't have to own a dog to like dogs. But I just felt like an imposter saying I was a dog person for two years without having a dog. If, the, if getting a dog was just to make sure that you had your credibility intact. Mission complete. Mission complete.